Well, great to be with you guys to worship God today and excited to look at God's word together. If you've been coming the past few weeks to the Shabbat morning service, Rabbi Steve has been in a series all about the Messiah and what it means to be a follower of Messiah. He's talked about Messiah's purpose, what it means to believe in him, what it means to become like him. And today we're going to talk about what it means to join Messiah's remnant. What does it look like to be a part of a, a Messianic Jewish community? And then how does that fit with the wider Jewish world? And I think a lots of times for us in Messianic synagogues, as we think about, okay, who we are and how we fit into the wider Jewish world, I think lots of times we can feel like the black sheep in the family. Uh, the part of the family that, uh, that is maybe the rest of the family is ashamed of, that they don't want around, and that they want to hide us because we reflect badly on them. But as we can sometimes feel like the black sheep of the family, this is something we can always go through, all of us who are part of a Messianic congregation, whether we're Jewish or Gentile, whatever our background is. Uh, like I shared last night, my mom's family uh, is from India. So when my mom married my dad, who was a Messianic rabbi, that was a pretty big deal because the expectation was, okay, we came from poverty in India, and the key to success in America is to get a really good education and marry really educated lawyers, doctors, and engineers. And so all my other uncles are tax lawyers and you know software engineers or like VPs of engineering or artificial intelligence at Google. And then there's my dad, a Messianic rabbi. And so we were the black sheep of the family and the Indian side of the family. And I'll always remember my mom telling the story that once they were in a mall, my mom, her mom, and my dad, and they saw some cousins coming in. And so my grandmother shoved my dad into a shopping rack so they wouldn't have to have a conversation about who he is and how he relates to the family. And uh, on a maybe a slightly more serious note, um, when my grandmother had died, uh, we went up to Orlando to be there for the funeral. And when we were there, uh, my grandparents rabbi, he, he saw us, so he wanted to meet us. And he was like, wait, Seymour has a son? And grandkids, he's like, I never heard about you guys. Like, I'd heard about your sister. I'd heard about her kids. Never heard about you. Are you like an illegitimate child? Like, why have they never brought you up? Like, what makes you the black sheep of the family? So uh, we had that conversation with my grandparents' rabbi that day. But whether we come from a Jewish or a Gentile background, when we're in the Messianic movement, so often we can feel like the black sheep in our family. And so today I want to take a look at Ananias uh, in the book of Acts, because as we look at him, it gives us an example, a blueprint for how we can, how do we fit with the wider Jewish community as a messianic movement. And so if you were with us last night, I kind of looked at this story through the lens of how do we deal with personal rejection and personal attack. But today I want to look at it through a different angle and say, okay, as a community, how does this passage of scripture show us how to relate to the wider Jewish community when we can sometimes feel like the black sheep in the family? And so if you want to turn with me over to Acts chapter 9, uh, we'll read there and we'll, we'll read verses in Acts chapter 9, we'll read verses 10 through 17. And it says, there was a disciple named Ananias in Damascus. And the Lord said to him, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, get up and go to the street named Straight and ask in the house of Judah for someone from Tarsus named Saul. For look, he is praying and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he might regain his sight. 
But Ananias said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your Kedoshim, to your people, to the believers in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the ruling Kohanim to tie up all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a choice instrument to carry my name before nations and kings in B'nai Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias left and entered into the house. So as we look at Ananias, he is one of the first century Messianic Jews. And even though at this time Ananias was part of the Jewish community, they were still experiencing that rejection and persecution from the wider Jewish community because Saul had gone up. He had letters of authority from the ruling priests in Jerusalem to say that he could arrest and deport back to Jerusalem anybody who was a believer in Yeshua. And so Ananias is dealing with this and Yeshua calls him to go to Saul. And I think so often for us, it's difficult to say, okay, how do we engage the wider Jewish community? Because we have felt that rejection, right? When my dad came to faith uh, in Yeshua, his family cut him off financially. They sent him to deprogramming with uh, ultra-Orthodox rabbis in in Crown Heights. He met the Rebbe. And uh, when that didn't work, they rejected him from the family. And so often when we've experienced rejection, we want to to leave because we don't want to have to face that anymore. We don't want to have to go through that attack. And yet, even though Ananias knows what that's like to feel that rejection and persecution, God calls him to go to Saul. And I think there's a calling for us as the modern Messianic Jewish community today, just because we've experienced the persecution and rejection of the Jewish community in the past, does not mean God is calling us to retreat and hide and to live in a bubble by ourselves. But just like Ananias, he's calling us to go out and to engage the Jewish community. But the first thing when he does that is he doesn't go to Saul until after he hears directly from God. And I think for us, as we maybe want to relate to the wider Jewish community, maybe we want to gain more acceptance or we want to bring the good news to them or we want to know, okay, what is it like to to be a part of Judaism? We can do that without going to God first and hearing him, but that is so, so dangerous. So many people, they come into a Messianic synagogue, they're interested in learning more about Judaism, getting connected to the wider Jewish community, and they'll go through the doors of a congregation into the doors of Chabad, And then sooner or later, many times people end up rejecting Yeshua or no longer acknowledging him. So many times people are curious to say, okay, now that I follow Yeshua, I want to get back in touch with my Jewish heritage. And they can begin to read books about Judaism and spirituality. And so often, if we don't hear from God first, we can get caught up in stuff that's going to be dangerous. So many people can get caught up in looking at Judaism and hearing about Kabbalah or things that have become a part of Judaism that the God of Israel had never intended. I remember in college, I was attending one of the Jewish events on campus And there was one of the girls there who came from a conservative synagogue and she talked about at her synagogue, they talked about reincarnation. And so, you know, my mom's family being Hindu, I'm familiar with that kind of stuff. And I thought maybe that might be more more reformed Jews or more secular Jews or Jew-boos, right? People who are Jewish and Buddhist. But this is something they, Jew-boos. 
sometimes people have called me a Hindu for, you know, they're like, but I'm like, well, I'm not exactly Hindu and Jewish. I'm, I'm like, I prefer Yidian, right? Uh, Indian and Jewish. But, um, but anyway, but anyway, so often in Judaism, there have been things that have got in there in the past 2,000 years that are not of the scriptures. And so before we engage the Jewish community, before we study Judaism, it is so important that we hear the voice of God and have that direction to protect us. For me, I can picture this. It didn't have to do with Judaism, but going rushing into something that seemed good without seeking God. For me, that was my first job out of college. And I went to school to study entrepreneurship because I wanted to use business and entrepreneurial skills to help ministries and nonprofits. And so in college, uh, I was volunteering with one of the professors. I found an amazing nonprofit that did so much social entrepreneurship using business as a force for good. So I toured the place. I got to know some of the people there and they offered me a job. And it, was, it felt like a once in a lifetime opportunity. I would be a manager right away growing a social enterprise and it seemed exactly what I wanted. And I never prayed about it. And uh, for the years in that job, I noticed there was a lot of times where I was miserable. There's a lot of times where I was experiencing pain. A lot of times where I caused pain to other coworkers because I didn't seek God first. I think if I had sought God first, he still would have had me go to that job, but I would have approached it totally different. Going into it, I would have set up a lot of different parameters with my supervisor before going in to line me up for more success. But because I didn't seek God before accepting that job, it resulted in a lot of pain. And for Ananias, if he had just gone up to Saul before seeking God, could have caused a lot of pain. Right? Saul had a reputation for harassing believers. He had a reputation for he was coming with the religious police from the temple to persecute believers, and he was known for police brutality. He was known for killing believers. And in this context of where that happens, it's dangerous for Ananias to go up to Saul. And yet, he first hears the voice of God, and he's willing to say, because God calls me, I'm willing to go to Saul, even if it's dangerous. And so for us, there is a lot of danger in approaching Judaism or, or becoming more active in the Jewish community, but it is what God is calling us to do. And if we hear and recognize God's fir- voice first, it can lead to amazing things like it did here. Ananias is like a relatively obscure character in the scriptures. He's only mentioned twice. And yet, because he engages Saul and engages the wider Jewish community, Saul comes to faith, has a dramatic encounter with God, and transforms the Middle East, birthing tons of congregations and writing so many of the scriptures that guide us today. And it never would have happened if Ananias hadn't first responded to the call of God to engage the wider Jewish community. And that is a call that God has for us today, to do that and to seek him in that. And so the first thing is we say, okay, sometimes we feel like the black sheep in the family. The first thing God wants us to do is to recognize the voice of the shepherd and to follow his leading in engaging our brothers and, and sisters in the Jewish community. And then the second thing we can learn from Ananias when we feel like the black sheep in the family is to measure our life by the word of God. If you want to turn with me over to Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at verse 12. And in this passage of scripture, Saul is recounting to the people in Jerusalem how God had transformed his life. And so he says in Acts chapter 22, verse 12, then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the Torah, 
well spoken of by all the Jewish people living there, he came to me. Standing beside me, he said to me, Brother Saul, look up. And in that very moment, I looked up and I saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers handpicked you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all people of what you've seen and heard. Now, why are you waiting? Get up and be immersed and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And the first thing that I notice about this passage is that it says, to, it says that he was a devout man who lived according to the Torah. And for me, what I see in this passage is when Ananias had come to faith in Yeshua, he didn't reject his Jewish identity. He didn't reject his Jewish culture. He didn't reject that, but he embraced it. And for me, an amazing example of that is uh, Rabbi Aaron Allsbrook. And uh, Rabbi Aaron, he's a, a Messianic rabbi uh, in uh, Virginia, and he actually has some pretty cool connections to this congregation, Becca Shefron and Rabbi Steve. And so Rabbi Aaron had grew up in a, a, in a Jewish believing home, but he was searching for something more. And so he went to Jerusalem, he left California, went to Jerusalem. He joined an Orthodox uh, yeshiva. He studied with them. He was actually granted Orthodox smicha, ordained. And then uh, while he was in Israel, he came back to faith in Yeshua. I think, I don't know the full story, but I think he rented from you, Becca, like you were his landlord or something like that. He came back to the States. He was like an expert in cantorial music and things like that. Turns out his mentor in cantorial music was Rabbi Steve's college roommate uh, when Rabbi Steve was studying at a music conservatory back in the day. And so one of the things about Rabbi Aaron is that since he has that experience going to an Orthodox yeshiva, he's embraced a lot of Judaism, a lot of history and culture of it. Uh, he, you know, each morning praying the Shachari prayers, uh, you know, to hear him lead in liturgy is amazing uh, with his cantorial background. He's embraced it. But what he's realized was that Orthodox Judaism was not enough and that embracing his Jewish heritage and Jewish culture, the standard is according to the word of God. And in this, it says that he was a devout Jew according to the Torah. And in the Greek, it's the words measured by the law, that he was devout, but the measured and standard that measured his observance was the scriptures. And so for us in Messianic Judaism, God calls us to embrace Jewish heritage and Jewish culture and these things, but according to the measure and the standard of the scriptures, that that is our source of standards and it's also our source of legitimacy. And so we're called to Jewish life, but it's not our observance of Judaism that grants us legitimacy. Because Ananias knew that no matter how much of Jewish tradition he kept, he was going to face rejection by the wider Jewish community. But he knew that his Jewish identity and his Jewish observance weren't going to be set by the culture around him, but set by the word of God. Amen. There's a slide we have up here uh, of a study taken by the Pew Research Group in 2013 of uh, the different things that it means to the community to be Jewish. And so when they surveyed Jewish people in America to say, what does it mean to be Jewish? These were the things that came up for the number one thing was remembering the Holocaust. 73% said, this is one of the things that's near and dear to what it means to be Jewish. 69% of people said leading an ethical or a moral life. 56% of people said uh, working for justice or equality. And then towards the bottom are things like being a part of the Jewish community 
observing Jewish law and eating traditional Jewish foods, right? There are so many opinions, even within the Jewish community of what it means to be Jewish. And yet we're called not to set what in our identity upon what other people say, but upon what the scriptures say. There's another thing I want to share with you guys when it comes to the wider Jewish community. And uh, this isn't as big as it should be, but it kind of describes where the Jewish population is. And when it comes to being Jewish, there's not like a centralized voice in the Jewish community to even tell us. It's so fragmented and, and complex. In uh, the main places of where Jewish people are in the world is Israel and America. And Becca and, and Yossi can probably speak to this, but Judaism and what it means uh, to practice that is so different in Israel than what it can mean in Israel. In Israel, Messianic Jewish culture is so different in a lot of ways than it is from the States. And then on top of that, there are so many different branches of Judaism. There's Orthodox, there's Conservative, there's Reform, there's Reconstructionist, there's Unaffiliated. So if we were looking for a voice in the Jewish community to legitimize us, there are so many different voices. You know, today there are all of these branches in Judaism. Back in the, ta- in the time of Paul and Ananias, there were Pharisees, Sadducees, Zealots, and Essenes. There have always been a diversity of voices in Judaism. And so the call for our life is that as we embrace our, Ju- our Jewish heritage and we embrace Jewish life together is to do it according to the standard of the scriptures and to find our legitimacy, not in what other Jewish communities say about us, but in what God himself says about us. And that we're to measure our lives in every way by the word of God. And then the next thing it says about Ananias after it says that he measured his life by the scriptures is it said that he was well spoken of by all the Jewish people living there. That even though he was facing rejection and persecution, the Jewish community had to acknowledge that he was a mensch, right? That no matter what they thought about his beliefs in Yeshua, that he was a man of integrity and a man of honor, and they would have to have a good report about him. And so what I love about him is that even when experiencing persecution and rejection for the Jewish community, he does not back down from the call of Yeshua on our lives to be a mensch and to always say that even when faced with rejection and persecution by the Jewish community, we're going to respond in love. And I think it's so critical because God can surprise us in so many ways. Ananias expected that Saul was just going to reject him you know, for being a Jewish believer and arrest him. And yet the story was totally different. And when we step out there and engage the wider Jewish community and say, you know what, even when harassed, even when spit on, even when people don't want us around, we're going to, we're going to treat people with kindness and respect and live our life as a mensch. It can do amazing things. Uh, When my mom was a teacher in upstate New York, there were a, a few other teachers there. And one of them, I think she said, Brenda Levy, hated her because she was a a messianic believer. And so she would walk into the school lunchroom and, uh, and when she would walk in, she'd usually hear Brenda kind of gossiping or talking about her with other teachers. And so that was a really difficult thing for her, but she didn't give up on saying, you know what, even when faced with rejection by uh, people in the Jewish community, I am still going to choose to love and demonstrate the love of Messiah. And so one of the beautiful testimonies out of that was there was a substitute teacher named Bobby King, who was actually an Orthodox Jew. And yet when Bobby King saw the way my mom lived her life, the way where she followed Yeshua and was loving to everybody in in spite of the way she was treated by the teachers, it spoke 
with such a loud volume to Bobby King. And Bobby, we have gifts that she gave to my mom when each of us were born that we still have to this day. And when my mom had to sit in her classroom and eat lunch alone because the other teachers didn't want her around, when Bobby King was substituting, she would go and join my mom in her classroom and eat with her and say, you know, when I was a little girl, I always wondered, could Jesus be the Messiah? And she would have these conversations with my mom. And, and years later, unfortunately, uh, Bobby King died in, a, in a, tragic, um, a tragic situation. She was not only a substitute teacher, but she volunteered at the Ameri- American Civic Association in my hometown. And there was a mass shooting there. And so while she was helping immigrants learn English and prepare for citizenship tests, someone came and they killed her and, and many other people. It was one of the largest mass shootings in American history in my small town. And um, I don't know where Bobby King was years after my mom had met her, but Bobby King was able to ask those questions about Yeshua and to be able to engage in those conversations before her tragic death. Because even when faced with persecution or rejection, my mom said, I'm going to still treat everyone with love and I'm going to follow the example of Messiah Yeshua. And for us, that can lead to many amazing things. But as we treat people with love in the Jewish community, it is so critical that we do it. We still acknowledge Yeshua in the process. And when I was at college, I had friends in Hillel. I was an RA. I had other RAs who were Jewish. I had residents of mine who were Jewish. And in a lot of those cases, I made sure in the beginning of the conversation when I mentioned that uh, I'm Jewish on my dad's side, I mentioned that I also believe in Yeshua. And so I, I played the diversity card. I'd say, I'm Indian, I'm Jewish, and I believe Jesus is the Messiah. And at college, the diversity card worked great. And lots of times we'd build a friendship, and it was great. But I remember one of those times with uh, another one of the students in my building named Rachel, uh, I didn't bring up that, I, that uh, I believed in Yeshua. And we had maybe like a few conversations as we'd pass in the, in the hall in the dorm that we lived in. And I, I just never brought it up. And then a few weeks after that, I was talking to another RA, and uh, they're like, oh, yeah, Rachel. Rachel, yeah, now she kind of hates you. And uh, it turns out what had happened was we had had a great relationship. I never brought up I believed in Yeshua. And so uh, one day she was talking to the vice president of Hillel. And so they're like, oh, Ravi? Yeah, he believes in Yeshua. He's not a real Jew. He's been hiding that from you. And so then Rachel was like, I thought I kind of had this friendship with Ravi, but it turns out he was keeping things from me. He was lying about it. And for me, that was a great example that when it comes to relating to the wider Jewish community, that we're called to do it with love, we're called to continue to press in when rejected, but we can't back down from acknowledging Yeshua. Because if we do, it can actually lead not only, it can lead to so much more harm than good. And the times where I was upfront about believing Yeshua, I developed great relationships in the Jewish community. And that when there was fights in Hillel about whether I should be allowed to like attend a Passover Seder, it was the ones that I mentioned that first to who were there defending me to say, let Ravi come. But the times when I held back and was more timid about acknowledging Yeshua, that hurt the relationship so much more. And so for us, like Ananias, God is calling us to engage the wider Jewish community, but it's not enough to join the JCC. It's not enough to just attend Jewish book clubs. It's not enough to just have a cordial relationship with the wider Jewish community if we don't acknowledge Yeshua. That is where the power is, and that is what Ananias does it. But he does it in a way where he doesn't come in from an outsider 
He doesn't take this missionary perspective of pointing out what's wrong to them and this perspective of I know what's right and you have what's wrong. And the first thing that he says to him when he comes to him is brother Saul. And at this time, Saul is not yet a believer. He isn't a brother in Messiah, but he comes to him as a brother because he says, we're from the same Jewish community. And even though you reject me, I still treat you like a brother. And he comes to him from this loving, insider, familiar posture. And that as we approach the Jewish community with the good news of Yeshua, we're to do it in a way not of an outsider coming in, but to recognize that even if we're rejected, we are still a part of the Jewish people. And as a community, we're still a part of the Jewish people. And that we're called to, as a brother, bring the good news to our Jewish brothers and sisters from that perspective. And when he does it, he comes in from that insider perspective and he also uses Paul's language. He says to him, the God of our fathers handpicked you. He uses words that Paul would use. He uses Jewish terminology. He connects to him in his language. And it is so important as we relate to the wider Jewish community that we don't necessarily do it on our terms, but that we understand the language and the culture of the wider Jewish community and use the language and culture that speaks to them that they can relate to. It's so important for us to do it and not to live in a messianic bubble. And so as he does this, he chooses that in spite of persecution, in spite of rejection, he's going to live as a mensch. And for me, uh, as I look at the scriptures, I see where Peter brought this up twice. And uh, over in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, uh, it says this. It says, keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Then when they speak against you as evildoers, they may from noticing your good deeds glorify God in the day of visitation. And then it says in 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16, instead sanctify Messiah as Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you. Yet with humility and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that whatever you are accused of, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Messiah may be put to shame. And for us, Ananias was a living example of this and when he went to Paul, that he did it knowing the truth of Messiah, not in a self-righteous attitude, not from an outsider posture, but one with humility and reverence. And this is going to be so critical to us because as he crossed over to Saul, there were so many barriers he had to cross over. And yet, because he did it in humility and reverence for God, he spoke to Saul in a way where Saul responded to what he said and came to faith. As we look at the Jewish community today, I just want to share with you some of these statistics about the Jewish community as we kind of understand how do we fit into the wider Jewish community. So according to the Pew Research Study, uh, 70% of Jewish people in America lean Democrat or are Democrat. Uh, 22% are Republican or lean Republican. Uh, nine out of 10 Jewish people are pro-choice. Uh, and, and when it comes to Israel, the 41% would say that it's not Israel and the Palestine conflict is not one of the top five issues. And so as we relate to the wider Jewish community and we take this posture of love, there are a lot of maybe differences between what the Jewish community is like and what the evangelical Christian community is like. And so as we do it, the challenge that Yeshua has for us 
is to engage the wider Jewish community, to engage in conversations with humility and reverence, to take the posture not as an outsider, not as someone who is talking about how we have it right and how other people have it wrong, but to take a posture of knowing that we all are in need of Yeshua as our Messiah and to take the posture of humility and reverence in relating to the wider Jewish community, whether they reject us for following Yeshua or whether it's another issue that's formed a stumbling block for them, but that in every area, in every conversation, in every area, to address it in a spirit of humility and reverence. And we can only do that when we follow the example of Yeshua because he knows what it's like to be alone, to be forsaken, to be rejected, to be attacked, to be betrayed. And yet, he never treated anyone with anger or frustration or responded in sin. But constantly, as the lamb led to the slaughter, he continued to love his people, to say, Father, forgive them. And so for us, as we relate to the wider Jewish community, as we see what Yeshua did and how he bore our sin, it sobers us to relate to the wider Jewish community with humility and reverence, to realize it was the king of glory who bore our punishment for the evilest things that we have done and for the evilest things in our hearts, that the filth and abuse that we should be defined by, he took upon himself and that in a world filled with rejection and persecution and abuse, we can find our place of belonging and acceptance when we look to our King of glory, to Yeshua. And so as, as Becca leads us back into worship as we close the service, I just want to pray for us that we follow the example of Ananias, that we're a people who doesn't turn our back on the wider Jewish community because in the ways that we've been rejected but to be a people who hear the voice of God and with his direction and with his love engage our Jewish brothers and sisters with the good news of Yeshua and to live like a mensch so that they can see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. Father, we thank you that it is because of you that we can know the God of our fathers. God, we thank you that you speak to us today and like Ananias said, God, we say, Hineni, here we are, Lord. Send us. We want to be a people who hear your voice and respond in obedience. Lead us in the ways to develop friendships with our brothers and sisters in the wider Jewish community. Lead us to know how to bring Yeshua up in a way that will resonate in people's hearts and lead us to live of lives of boldness and love because of what Yeshua has done for us and the example that he has set for us. In Yeshua's name, amen.